0: Welcome to the Upriser Podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser Podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Hey everyone, this is Clinton Bonner. Welcome back to the Upriser podcast brought to you by Topcoder. As I said, I'm Clinton. I'm a VP at Topcoder. We've got an outstanding guest today. I got the, I had the pleasure of having, having a first conversation with Jasmine probably about two weeks ago, I think, uh, Jasmine, if that's right. But we have Jasmine Torfey, who's with Swisscom. Swisscom is the largest telco out in Switzerland. And, uh, her passion and her focus for the last several years has really been on the future of work and this melding of bringing in these new work philosophies into what is a, into what is a traditional uh, telco company. And she's got a great story to tell. So I want to welcome her. Uh, Jasmine, can you, I'd love to get, you know, I know, I know you have a, a very specific title that, that ties back to a program at Swisscom. Can you tell the viewers, uh, you know, a little bit about yourself, about your title and your focus?
1: Sure. So, hey, Clint, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation that we had uh, back then. And about my role, I work in, uh, as you said, in, at Swisscom. And my role is as a work smart coach to accompany uh, enterprises towards the digitalization. And we have innovative methods and tools to do so. And the team is called Future of Experience. And... That's
0: what basically cool. Thank you so much. And, you know, when we first chatted too, there was like this kind of natural progression that came out of the conversation. And I thought it'd be an interesting thing to, to share, to share with the audience, you know, on the Upriser podcast, we, we are focused on future of work and it's not, it's not always just about the gig economy. It's not always just about on-demand talent, but it's about, you know, things certainly, um, certainly in a, in a wider spectrum uh, and techniques and things that large organizations, large enterprises are doing to shepherd in a new work environment, and again, when you shared your story with me when we previously talked, I was like, this is a pretty pretty cool tale, so I think it 's something best told in in, in like three parts uh, if i 'm remembering correctly and over in switzerland there 's a lot of hockey i 'm a big hockey fan, so we could look at this as three periods with maybe a couple of mental zambonis in between, and we could tell a good story, uh, a good story as we go. Um, Jasmine, as I recall, like you've been there for a, at Swisscom for about five years now, and your your path was you know potentially not something that you were always thinking about uh, through through college and getting into, but you had the opportunity at Swisscom uh, you know several years ago now when there was a big um, call to arms, if you will, that a telco company who has a large A large traditional business of uh, having physical phones inside businesses and people's homes said, hey, we as an organization, we're getting rid of every, you know, every one of our physical phones as a step one. So we could live by example and and make that digital leap for our customers. If that's stage one, am I framing it up fairly for you? And, you know, what kind of color can you add to where you were at that point in your career and what this, uh, at that time, audacious goal looked like for you and your team? So
1: um, when I started at Swisscom, I was an intern and I worked in the marketing department. And then we heard from, or I heard from this project called um, Work Smart Within Swisscom. It was still a project and nothing um, fixed yet. And I, was, I had the opportunity to work in this project, WorkSmart at Swisscom. And the goal was to um, take away the phones, the hard phones, completely and implement new software solutions. Back then right. it was Skype for Business. Um, it's very well known now, but when we did that, it was around 10 years ago, and for the largest company in Switzerland, when it comes to Telco, it was very innovative and very, very new when it started with the first um, planning. Then um, we, we we started to do the project and all the doing, and in order to be really successful because we're a telco company and we have a lot of also traditional employees in our company and we Mm -hmm. sell hard phones. So what we basically did is taking the hard phones away, which is part of our business, um, and it was very, very disruptive and some sort of cannibalization also in business terms. So that we had to come up with a very innovative strategy to accompany our employees.
0: And I'd love to interject right there. I think there's, uh, I'd love to understand, you know, what the internal resistance or external resistance might have felt like. I know it wasn't quite to the market yet, but this is a big shift. So what kind of back and forth was there internally at first? And I would also love to understand from a leadership perspective, how was it communicated to the team that, hey, this is the vision and there might be pain in the near term. However, the long term is is going to be a, a big payoff, and it's the right way to go. So we've got to go through this together. Um, so it's really kind of cool. Two two parts to understand is is that you know what was the internal struggle if there was one, and how was it communicated?
1: Luckily, we had uh, from the start the support from the leadership and for the top from the top management. Um basically, we once went with a flip chart with different statements. On a manifesto into the board of the management, mm. and we pitched it and presented it, and then we asked them for their commitment, and they had to sign this picture. Then we take, took a picture and had it in, at the in the pitch of all the when we went to all the different teams. So with that, we knew we had the backing of the, the management, and of course, there was a lot of um, also internal struggle, or I would say like resistance, also. Mm. There were, for instance, a few employees, they they bought, um, uh, um I don't know the, the English word for that, but the thing that you hold on your ear when you have a phone conversation and they plugged it into the laptop just that they have the feeling of the old phone. <laughs> yeah, but we knew we had to do something that we can kind of uh, give like, some sort of um, comfort to this change and then um, therefore we we had um or still maybe have to to open up a bracket um it was at first still a project and then we um started to make a business case out of it so we thought we saw like oh maybe this could be something in long term and maybe we can also develop because technology will change in the future as well and we have to kind of always make this progress to um, naturally follow up on these technology technological changes so with that, then we were able to 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 build up the team uh, with a couple of members at the beginning and very unstructured at the beginning, as it's normal for new teams, I guess. Sure. And um, yeah, and then um, we also had um, forty. Um, now it's thirty-eight um, apprentices, young people. They're between sixteen and twenty years old, and since they're so young and also grew up with these technologies already. They really know it by heart, Mm. much more than the older generations. And that's why they're also a little bit our drivers of the digitalization and the transformation. So um, one, for instance, this is a nice story. One um, digital native went to the office of the CEO back then. And he was 17 years old and he went into the office and had, had like a coat on where it said, um, I'm your trainer and uh, went into the office, took away the phone, and then gave him a training um for the new for business. And this all was filmed and put on the internet. And um yeah, we said it was also easier to 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 follow through with the change.
0: Very cool. So was the so there's a couple of things that I wanna kind of uh, I wanna poke at a bit. So this was, you know, your project team, um, kind of like a what I would call like a like a tiger team was asked to go, go figure this out in some way or, or given the freedom to say, what would you do if you can make, you know, you can make a a strategic change. Um, You come up with a plan. You're able to pitch it, uh, you know, pitch it to the, to the the top folks of the organization and get their buy-in. So it really was this kind of, um, Bottom to top, and then you got the buy-in, and then they were able to put their authority behind it, which gave you the weight and the capital to to move it forward um, and really transform transform the company, which we'll get to you know, we'll get to a little bit later. And then the second piece for me is that that idea of incorporating really you know younger a younger generation of people, like you said, sixteen to twenty year olds, who were given a bit of status. You know, like if you're giving somebody a specific shirt or a specific look or a badge. What you're doing psychologically is giving them status right the ability to be recognized and called out especially in a physical environment like that um that's interesting was that also part of like your your tiger team's philosophy was to you know to have these young people come in give them a bit of status and have them just literally go talk to managers go talk to directors and answer questions about what are they doing on a day-to-day basis in terms of how they're communicating as humans versus maybe how the business had run previously? So was that little bit of genius uh, did that come out of your team as well?
1: We, we realized um, at the beginning that these um, young people, um, they really adapted the technologies much faster. They just clicked on and start to write or own and just tried tried it out. They They had no resistance at all. And when we saw that, um, together with the team, we saw like, oh, maybe this could be a good idea to implement these people into um our team so that we can really drive forward the change and the transformation. And I think it's um that's what we call reverse mentoring, the re- reverse mentoring approach, because we think that there are senior people which know a lot um, and have studied a lot of things. And um, we the younger people can learn from the older, but then also we can Turning around, and the older can learn from the young, and with that, it's an intergenerational um, learning organization, and just making the most out of it, um, so that it could be a win-win situation for everybody, and that we can learn from one another, also to to kind of uh, close the gaps within the company, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's really cool, and. and- like I'd shared, we, you know, we tend to focus on things that are, let's say, gig economy or like on-demand talent stories on the Upriser podcast. However, you know, I was attracted to this conversation because of, because of elements like that. that. That is still, although it's not going out to, you know, uh, on-demand talent per se, and you're bringing them in physically, the philosophy of external, you know, external influence into the organization to, to get outside of a comfort zone. Uh, that, that was, you know, extremely, seems to be extremely at the, at the, uh, the forethought there and exactly what you were trying to do and do it in a way that also wasn't, you know, I, it sounds to me like, you know, wasn't threatening, was more, more inviting, more in like, Hey, these are just some young people. <laughs> and if you want to pick their brains, they're going to be available to you. And it, it doesn't seem like it was besides maybe the CEO with going in and yanking, you know, yanking out the video, uh, the phone for the, for the video's purpose, which is a good idea. Um, it seems it was set up for others to be more of a more of an offering, you know, like if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to take on these these reverse mentors, they're there for you, you'll know exactly how to find them because they'd be very clearly identified. And, um, and we think it's a good idea. Because because their their adaptability to the next the next gen technology is uh, is you know just way way more sincere way more uh, like you said easier for them to get going um, trial new things maybe hop into into a digital interface that has a bit of a tutorial and just go <laughs> without having to. Maybe get on a line and expect to uh, you know expect physical customer service or something like that, which is interesting. I think it's really really cool stuff. I, I you know if that's if that's kind of the first period right and and the the, the horn sounds and we're out and the zamboni comes out. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned that you were you were doing it on Skype for business. You had the young interns in place, um, and it was at a project level at that point, And you got the buy-in, but the next step in like you know a business um, evolution, I would say, is then how do we bring this to market? You know, how do we, how do we get this to market? And if you're doing it to kind of live by your own principles that, Hey, we're going to progress this way as Swisscom. Well, that's a good thing. You kind of, you know, you, you, you drank your own champagne, if you will. And now you had to get it, you had to get it out to a broader, audi- broader audience and find out how the market would respond and what kind of services, what kind of things could you apply because at the end of the day, you know, you still, gotta, you still have to have a viable business. You still have to, you have to make money and hopefully make even more money than the thing you disrupted internally, which was taking away the physical phones. So if we, you know, get out, get out on the ice for period two, how did the bring it, you know, how did the bringing it to market effort work? What was, what was different than what was happening just internally? And can you take us through some of the, the lessons learned there?
1: At the beginning, when we progressed with our internal project, we realized that there were some uh, companies in Switzerland which were interested in our approach and also how we uh, communicate newly now um, within Swisscom. And at the beginning, we have um, invited these companies for an exchange like knowledge exchange uh, and talked over it over a coffee. Uh, or two and um, it was also in terms of a customer relationship um, base and um, these requests they increase and increase so we saw at some point that there are more and more requests and then somehow the thought was developed like okay maybe we can also try to build up the service now and uh, maybe start a consulting um, approach with these requests and these companies. Then it was also like the, fir- the first um, idea or the first customer that came in and based on that we also um, started to to develop services, develop um, an offer for the companies and um, kind of co-created our offering. And um, now our team is, like, is, is set up that we have a team focusing on the internal part, the Swisscom part, also to bring... Swisscom further with the the change and the transformation. And then the other part is focusing on um, company uh, customers and and looking out for the market. And here we have different different maturity of the market. Some are um, still not close to Skype for Business. Um, In Switzerland, we have a lot of banks. It's our highest um, uh, density and the, the biggest industry and also for the banking sector. And there is a lot of um, regulations, of course, and data security and so on. Um, But then we also have other uh, companies which are already very far and would like to to work with the cloud, for instance. So we have a really diverse uh, customer base. Yeah, um, basically consulting projects with these customers. And um, so far it's been, I think, four years now that we're also focusing on the external area. And I was talking before about these uh, reverse mentors, the yeah. young people, and um, actually they are also now our junior consultants, if you will, and yeah. um, they go to customers also, um, just to consult them as well.
0: No, that what a what a great what a great um, career path that was provided to them, and I would imagine you know, maybe when you first thought of it. Maybe that wasn't the case maybe you didn't, you didn't think about them expanding into your uh you know into your external offering or maybe you did however once you had the internal success and you saw the buy in and then you start to see you know market um indicators that that you could you could build a new business around this a new services business and uh, and and you know really like you said a wide spectrum of customers all the way from quite traditional banking to others that were uh probably cloud cloud born Cloud born and cloud raised, and everything in between. But again, that idea of these external um, external minds and, and youthful minds being used, and you graduated them in in a way, and gave them an opportunity to be these junior consultants, um, which is really cool. I think it's a good brand story, but I also think it's a smart, just in general. I think it's a smart play to give those people as individuals uh, that kind of that kind of career path. That you know, when they took whatever whatever they took initially to do this internally. I wonder if they ever thought that within a couple of years they'd be sitting in, in front of some of the you know largest uh, banks in the world and and, and providing uh providing services and, and mentorship to uh to some people that they would have never gotten a chance to potentially meet in a, in a different path in their life, which is really cool. And it reminds me too, like at, at Top Coder, we you know, we have a large global community of technologists, designers, developers, data scientists, and we use a platform to get to their skills. And get them working uh, on demand for uh, for our customers, which which several um, public customers of ours are in telco, which include BT and T-Mobile and others that are that are not public. But we have a role in in Topcoder Jasmine that we call a copilot. So think of a virtual project manager. It's somebody who it's somebody who has uh, been with Topcoder for a while as a member and has gotten really good at certain things. And then, we, and then we elevate them. We teach them how to actually run work on the platform for customers. So they themselves, it's, it's kind of analogous. It's just this cool little analogy that I'm seeing in my brain where we have people come in as individual contributors uh, who have a certain skill set and they want to go do work and go learn new skills as well. And then when they show a propensity for success and a bit of a curiosity and grit and, and kind of want to do more, um, often we give them as individuals the opportunity to become what are virtual project managers? It's, it's, it's just that same idea of allowing the talent to come to you and then really thinking through and saying, these people are valuable to us and not just in the way we first thought about them. So if we're open to evolving um, how, how much we can trust them, um, that's what I really think it comes down to is when you put the trust in high quality individuals, whether, whether they're virtual or physical, uh, and you give them something, you know, meaningful to go do, uh, they they usually end up paying tremendous dividends for. It sounds like they have for Swisscom, and I certainly know for Topcoder, it was a kind of a revolutionary idea for us, and really gave us a tremendous amount of scale, which I think is cool. So I think okay, if we go back to the to the crude hockey analogy, we're at the end of the second period. We got a good a good match going here. Um, you know, the idea was born. It was it was brought bottom up, got. You know, got support. You brought it to market. The market's indicating that there's lots of interest there. You're, you know, you've you've opened up a what is really business services innovation on top of a traditional company, and then what separates uh, enterprises and and their their true success is the ability to the ability to scale it. You know, to really bring it bring it to another level. And so I think in the this third stanza, if you will. You discussed the need to make make a bit of a technology shift or wrap it within a within a suite that um, your customers were already using and re- would really provide scale for you so uh, from from a skype for business and into into a um, into a bit of, a bit more of a package so can you give a give some ideas on that shift and when you went to go scale it, I think you made a big change in two thousand and nineteen and that you 've seen a large jump in usage since the since the um, since the beginning of covid. Can you bring us through what happened in 2019, technology decisions that were made and kind of bring us up to date?
1: One year ago, um, our upstream works smart within Swisscom. They have decided, or uh, they have challenged the idea to us to move forward with technology and to collaborate smarter. The communication was much more smarter already, but we had, for instance, a project team internally and they worked over several months and they have, sent one document I think 1,000 times as an attachment and um, when we saw that we saw like, uh, in, in private life we have Dropbox or Google Drive or everything else sure. but for big corporations um, it's not really in place yet. So um, with that exactly the Microsoft Microsoft Suite um, idea was uh, initiated and also moved towards um, Swisscom. It um, was out in 2019 and we also had, again, different change um, ideas, um, also reverse mapping and also other ideas. And uh, what we could see actually is that now with everybody working from home now, yeah. we, we have an increase of the technology of, I think, four times when it comes to um, online conversations or to calls, and this is just within four weeks. So it was a huge, huge increase. And I think it will also stay after um this increase. It was a there's some um, picture going around in internet like who was the leader of the digital transformation? Was it the CEO, was it the CFO, or was it COVID-19? Yeah. Um, um I mean maybe there is something to it that it also helps to prove to work from, from anywhere. Um and I, th- I thought you said a really nice thing also about um, like giving trust to, to young talent and also giving some purpose because I think there is um, a lot of can come back out of it. And also probably uh, they would also go the extra mile a little bit or just think about new ideas. And then for instance, I had one uh, apprentice, he was 17 and then he was driving to the train to his um, school. And then he, he was in the train in the department and talked to some random person um, spontaneously. And then he, they, he realized that he was working in some company. He was still a startup company. And then a 17-year-old person or apprentice came back to the team and then said, like, hey, I have a new lead. We can contact him. He needs uh, Microsoft. We really need that. And I don't know. It, it's just... Um, yeah. I don't know how to say it, but it's appreciating. It's, it's um, fun to work like
0: this, actually. And I think, and I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head too. That um, you know, providing the opportunity and the trust to whether it's younger or it doesn't have, just have to be age, but just people outside the org that norm, maybe norm, in normal circumstances, if you didn't set this up you wouldn't be working with, you know, just wouldn't have the access to, and they wouldn't be part of a normal workflow. Uh, we see that all the time at Top coder too. And actually I have a personal story. So uh, I have a ukulele that I got for Christmas and my, and one of the strings kind of didn't break. It just kind of came undone. And I played mm-hmm. guitar for 15 years. So restringing a guitar, well, that's, that's no problem. I've done that. You know, I've probably done that hundreds of times in my life now. At least at least dozens, <laughs> and um, so when it came time to just fix this ukulele string, I just kept doing what I would always do, which is put the darn thing in the hole, twist it, and it would eventually you know just get tight enough and wound. And uh, you know I did it for I don't know twenty minutes. I, and I didn't I didn't want to go on YouTube and go look how do I restring a ukulele string. Of course I could go do that, but I just wasn't in the mood to go look it up. I was like I don't get it, so I put it down. And my nine year old son picked it up, who's. Never uh, strung. He he plays a little bit of guitar uh, and he plays some piano, but he's never strung a guitar in his life. He has no bias as to how to how you should string a, a ukulele string. Um, and within about five minutes, he had it done. I was like, I was like, dude, what'd you do? He's like, well, I looped it one time. He's like, and I I realized that it just wasn't catching tight enough. He's like, so I just put it back through the hole two more times and made it tighter, and then I twisted it and it and it caught. It was fine. And now it's perfectly playable, but i would you know my bias was from a guitar player I would never take the string and put it back through again you just, you don't have to you know so you know so I was very narrowly focused on what I've always known versus someone that had um just didn't didn't have that bias didn't have like oh, that's the way you have to do that. that's the way we've always done that. He just was like, well you know, basically, if I had to tie my shoe a different way, or if I had to tighten a rope around something, I would double loop it, you know, like, duh. So it was just one of these kind of cool little stories that um, I experienced last night. And um, it was just kind of a you know, good timing, because, because obviously, our conversation has evolved around openness and, and trust for um, people who would traditionally be outside your org, which I think is a really, really cool thing. And, you know, I think the overarching story, especially one that we like to tell a top coder is, uh, is, you know, Right now, too, being more resilient post-COVID means being more flexible. It means being in a position to work, work more virtually, work with on-demand teams, work with, uh, again, work with people that maybe are not in a traditional FTE setting. And it sounds like all the work that your team put in for several years um, paid off in the sense that when it came time for the market to have that, we need, we need a, we need to do something different the work and the forethought that your team had, you know, five years before COVID was even in in our vernacular um, was the thing that helps these, helps your enterprises be way more resilient, helps them keep going, helps them work, uh, which is, which is so huge right now because obviously there's so much economic disruption and, uh, and, you know, advances like the ones you, you led with your team are, are super important in keeping keeping companies going and keeping uh, people employed and, and, and and that's, that's, that can't be understated. Really, really cool stuff. So, you know, Jasmine, any, any predictions for, you know, we're going to emerge from post COVID at some point, Uh, any thoughts or predictions on um, where this goes next in terms of adoption, in terms of virtualization, digitalization? Um, Is it, you know, what's, what's your, I guess, what's your take on what happens next?
1: Um, it's very interesting. I had, um, and I think this is anyways a very, very um, good question to be discussed. Um, when I was, when it was before COVID, I often had the conversation: Why do you need to work from remote, and what are the benefits? Mm. And I see this and this and this and this and this um, thing that maybe um, is not that uh, beneficial for uh, remote work. And uh, the conversations have really shifted uh, now to. on um, how how do i do it what are the best strategies what do i need to implement into my daily routine that i can work um in a good way for instance i don't know take a walk after work or um just close your door when you walk from home or like these little things and tricks or maybe wear something when you have a um, video call <laughs> <laughs> Where we saw some nice um, Zoom call um fails, which were yes,
0: awesome. yes, no, yeah. <laughs> some of those, some of those are not are not uh, not okay for for work talk, but I, I saw those as well. <laughs> they are funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. And um, so, so now I think we have um, a different momentum and we have different awareness. We the shift has taken place, and I also think that after COVID, um, there will be new work strategies in place. Um just to be also prepared for maybe we don't know what's coming, but to to, to also protect the workforce and to have a strategy in place that um, we, can, we can work from anywhere. And um, different studies show um, that we don't work if you don't work like all the time from home, but sometimes from home, people are more happy, yeah. uh, they are more motivated, they have more time for their families also. Which is great, but then also they're more productive and more effective for the work. So it's also again a win-win situation. So i'm I would be very happy if um, this would be would take place in the future. However, um, I think it still will take time for some traditional companies as well um, to to move towards that. I think um, not everybody will fo- uh, work fully remote. Sure. at all and it's still very important I say also for remote teams that to, to, to meet up physically to exchange in a personal way to have coffee and a chat and I think this will always be very very interesting no matter how far we get with technology so I would really wish that both would be um,
0: existent yeah yeah and I think for me I will I'll close it out to you by saying I'm I agree with you I am not I'm not a uh, hyperbolic type you know I don't believe I don't I don't uh, cling to hyper hyperbole where it's like we will never get back to you know quote unquote normal the fact is that there will there's always change you know and this was this was absolutely a catalyst and a, and certainly an accelerant to work from home and, and virtual work and digitization uh, of the work and we're seeing that at top quarter too. that's you know uh, there's a lot less conversations on, uh, why, why would I consider this? And a lot more conversations on how should I, how should I implement, uh, outside in talent, you know, on-demand talent so that I could scale it with my enterprise. How do I begin? How do I do cultural things? How do I do the soft skill things you mentioned? So I think there's some really, again, a really great analogy from your experience to to what we're seeing as well. And I think the, the truth is, you know, somewhere in the middle that, um, that the change will simply be that more and more people will want to do remote and virtual uh, and, and for our case, uh, using on-demand talent as part of their work. Not a full throttle one way, not a full throttle the other way, but certainly an increase because I think people are happier. I think there's more opportunity for people. I think there's more productivity. There's certainly less, um, less time spent staring at a windshield or, or spent on a subway. Um, And if you can close your laptop at 5 p.m. and go coach your kid in whatever they might be doing or go do something for yourself uh, instead of spending an hour and a half on a ride home. Um, those are probably good things. <laughs> those are probably really good things to keep people uh, engaged and and, and really um, excited about their work and driven, which, uh, which really ramps productivity overall. So, which is cool. I think that's a really great place to leave it. So Jasmine, I want to thank you for uh, accepting an invitation. You know, this was a conversation via LinkedIn saying, hey, I think you got a pretty cool title, and, and I wonder if there's a story to tell about that. And it turns out there was a really great story. So I appreciate you, you personally for being open to joining us on the Upriser podcast. And I look forward to um, hearing some updates so when we do emerge post-COVID uh, to see how you and Swisscom are doing because of all the, the good work you, you and your team have put in.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a really great conversation. And I um, was looking forward for exchanging with you how it's going to develop at top coder.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, prom- I promise to keep you updated as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's an exciting time. I know this is it's obviously a hard time for many. And we, during these hard times, a lot of great innovation usually takes place. And I think we're seeing that again. So that's the optimist in me. And I think I'll, I'll always be that way, which, which I think is a good thing. So, well, thanks, Jasmine. Have a great, uh, great rest of your afternoon. And thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, thank, Bye.
0: thank you. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R, on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder, at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R.